Well, I'm going to call this program Coffee Talkie. So I just need you to say, Mr. Dana presents Coffee Talkie. Mr. Dana presents Coffee Talkie. Perfect. Hmm. This is going to be different type of podcast than we're used to. Yeah. Because it's... Yeah. You know, I, I try to... Anytime that I'm amongst people and I'm out there either teaching or doing whatever, we I, I try to make them smile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is serious business. Just. But, but before we start, though, you know, I feel the need to premise this because we're obviously going to talk about Erica. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to make sure that everybody knows, you know, with this challenge, you know, the loss of my daughter... Um, and I'm going to get choked up from time to time. Um, I, I don't want people to think that, you know, it's now different to me on the passion that I've had for these issues and that the loss of my daughter and the tragedy that my family is experiencing um, isn't any less or isn't any greater than all those other families, you know, and, and people that have lost their, their fathers, mothers, um, children, brothers, sisters, you know, all of those lives that have been taken from us are important. And um, the only difference with this is that, um, you know, it's, it's hitting me at home. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it doesn't change the fact that over the last 16 years that I've, you know, wanted to serve people that, and, and my job is to investigate death and determine cause and manner and all that. But it's also to help that family through a horrific time. And we're going to touch on some of that, too, because this has been very horrific. Um, but I, I've, I've sat with those families, and, and, and I experienced those deaths with them. And it's, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't want people to think that I don't feel. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not apathetic. I've always been empathetic in that. And, and, and the reason for that is that, you know, how I grew up. And, and you become a product of your environment, you know. And, and my mother... Uh, devout Irish Catholic, you know, taught us about serving people. And my father, you know, Gunnery Sergeant James J. Libanotti, you know, Gunnery Sergeant with the Marine Corps, he taught us about respect and dignity. I'm a mixture of that, you know. So um, through the years, you know, I, I've always been passionate at helping others. You know, for 40 years of my life, that's all I've done is serve. And, and I've been in a lot of positions that gave me an opportunity to, to serve people. And um, whether it was in emergency medicine and clinic, you know, critical care at children's hospital out in EMS and, you know, the fire service, search and rescue, all the different things that I've, I've been blessed to be able to, to be involved with to, to help people. Um, with what I'm doing now as the coroner, it's even more honorable. You know, to, there's no greater honor bestowed upon a person to be called upon to investigate the death of a human being. But it's equally as important to be able to provide that service for that family in a very horrific, tragic, and most often unexpected time. And, um, but, but, and I, you know, I, I spoke at a church this morning, you know, and I, I called it out to say it's, it, my family's experiencing a tragedy, but not unlike other families. The only difference is, is that now people are seeing why I've been so passionate, but now's the time that I wanna call them out and say, you know, we all need to address this issue. We can all talk about national stuff. You know, we can talk about all these things that make us angry and all these things that have separated us with the pandemic and everything else. But it's opened up so many avenues for evil, you know, and, and people say when you lose a family member, lose a child, you know, it is different. And it is, you know, and it is for me, you know, um, and I can see what people are saying, but because um, I'm experiencing it now and it is horrific, you know, no, no parent should you know, have to bury their child. Right. Let me let me just step back a minute here and give you a moment here to catch your breath. Okay. A little backstory on you and I. I was uh, working for a radio group here in Western Pennsylvania, and it turned into be my own little kind of a disastrous experience. I ended up in the hospital, and um, uh, was brought home from the hospital by an ambulance driver. This is in another county, not too far from Mercer. But um, I was literally contemplating my life and thinking, what am I going to do with my life now? Right? I've pretty much run radio to the end. I mean, it, it beat me up pretty good. The ambulance driver was incredibly kind and very, very nice. And on my drive back home to my apartment, 
and chatting with him, I thought, you know, I could do this. I'm going to take a couple years of my life, and I'm going to go find a job working for an ambulance company, and I'm just going to be nice to people. And that was that was my that was my immediate goal. And my brother, my youngest brother, was actually the one that suggested me running down and, and meeting up with uh, McGonagall's. And so I I called you. And I asked if you were hiring, and uh, I think I left a message for you. I remember I was at a uh, uh, I, I was at a church event that evening, and my phone rang, and it was you. And you set up an appointment the next morning for me to come in, and you and I met. And you ended up giving me a job as a dispatcher, and also driving ambulette. And that sort of was the beginning. Our relationship began as you being my employer, my boss, my supervisor, mm-hmm. and a friendship kind of grew out of that over a couple of years. And you and I have uh, remained fast and furious friends, and I appreciate that. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I have been with you on multiple occasions during these death investigations and these different kind of um, experiences, and um, I've watched you firsthand. And people ask, and it's probably one of the most asked questions all the time: is how do you do? How do you deal with this? How do you, you know, day in and day out? And I've seen you at work, I've seen your integrity at work, and I've seen and listened to you firsthand over and over and over again. How you talk to these families, how you work with these families, the compassion and the empathy that you show. And not only does that make me proud to be your friend, but it also uh, really cements the idea as to why you do what you do is because you actually are one of the one of those people that actually genuinely care. You don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. Well, I, I mean, give people a little bit of a background, I guess, is that, um, you know, the reason I even ran for coroner, you know, is, isn't because I wanted to be the coroner. Because I, I look back through my life and, and the experiences that I've had, and, and I've had some challenges in my life, you know, through 40 years of emergency medicine and all that. Um, and there was a, a time in March of 1993 that there were three very horrific things that happened within a week and a half period of time. That, um, you know, the, the loss of a young lady that I knew um, that was my best friend through high school's fiance, followed by a, a young lady, a 15-year-old young lady that I taught gymnastics, Special Olympics to, Raina. And, um, you know, those two were very personal, you know, and, and I knew those individuals. Um, and then there was the catalyst of a, of a young man, 35 years old, that was, um, had a crush injury um, at, a, at a loading dock. And, uh, you know, they, they kept the truck and him pinned, and he was alert and oriented. And uh, whenever, um, you know, we did everything that we did to get him as stable as we could. And we, you know, I remember telling this guy that when we moved that truck, you know, the chances of you surviving are very slim, but I'm going to fight. And, and at the time, I was a, a 26-year-old kid, you know, mm-hmm. um, as a paramedic. And, and I had, you know, one of my best friends in the world who was up last night, you know, who was Erica's godfather, um, Amos, um, was another field medic, and he was my backup. And I remember we had the inflatable pants on, we had the IVs, all this stuff. But the only thing this guy wanted was to talk to his wife. And he had two young kids to say goodbye before we moved that truck. And... Um, and we used my cell phone. I still have that cell phone. Uh, and that was the last phone call that was made on that. And I shared that with him. And, and whenever we moved that truck, the life just drained. And, mm-hmm. and it was a horrifying experience. And, um, you know, even though, you know, we have people that are all out there. And it's not just me. There's other people out there that have this desire, you know, and whatever fills you to be able to serve people. Um, the challenges that we have is that people need to understand that we're still people. We're not superheroes. You know, we're not superhuman. We, we feel. And whenever you get in that position where you quit feeling is probably the time that you get out. But right. I, I think the important part of this story um, is that after that incident, I had some challenges. And, and I really hit bottom. And uh, I could have lost everything, and I wasn't a good person. And uh, Amos was the one that pulled me out of that. But... The other one, uncannily, that pulled me out of that was the birth of Eric. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's okay. But in March of 1993 is when she was born. This is when this happened. So um, it made me take a better look 
you know, at, uh, at who I was and what I needed to do and when it refocused. I, I got assistance with um, a, a guy at the University of Pittsburgh who started a critical incident stress management program because I got to, I got to the point where if I didn't feel physical pain, Dana, I felt nothing. And it was bad. And, uh, but I was able to regroup uh, with people that were there to provide me support instead of taking the, the wide road to destruction. I took that narrow path and hit it head on. And following that, you know, I, I got out of the EMS, you know, response area for a while and went into the hospital setting to work for, you know, paramedic coordinators and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then was recruited by Children's Hospital Pittsburgh to work in trauma service. So somebody that had those baggage, you know, what do you want to do with them? Yeah, put them in charge of pediatric trauma care. Yeah, so that was a good idea. <laughs> but, um, because you, you learn a lot there. Because even when yeah. we're working with kids, it's, you know, a lot of times when we lose children, you know, we're, we're sitting there thinking it's not fair. Well, the reason is, is because with kids, you're not trying to save a life. You're trying to save a lifetime, you know, and it's the experiences mm-hmm. that they're going to, you know, that are taken from them to be able to have their first date, drive a car, have their own family, you know. Um, that we have been fortunate to be able to experience. So uh, with that, you know, Rich Boland was his name at the university who did the critical incident stress management program. But even since then, years later, um, whenever I was uh, recruited by the University of Pittsburgh and left Children's to come to Mercer County to embark on my journey with everybody here, right? Um, And that was in uh, 1997, you know, so, you know, it's been a while since I've been here, but, uh, I, I love this county, you know, I, I love the people in it. And, but whenever we, you know, I got here and worked with the university, we set up programs for emergency responders, police, fire, EMS, for crisis intervention. And I became a peer provider in that. So, you know, my daughter once asked me, um, Jocelyn, my youngest, mm-hmm. you know, she said, Dad, you know, do you ever look back at the struggles that you've had throughout your career? And I said, well, now I look at them as blessings because it truly made me who I am today um, to, to do what I do. And, and, and back to your initial question was that when Brad McGonigal retired and asked me, you know, would you be willing to run for coroner? And I said, what every person should say that's married is, can I check with my wife first? <laughs> so I did, and on my way home, I thought of like my whole career from when I was 15 years old as a junior fireman and how I went through to become an EMT and working with an ambulance service and working with special needs kids and, you know, went into the hospital setting, did wilderness search and rescue with dogs and the crisis intervention and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, it's not about that I want to do it. I feel responsible to do it. I feel like I was meant to be here at this time in this place to do this, to serve people in a whole different world and capacity that I ever did before. And to use all of those experiences, and 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 even though they were challenges at the time, they became blessings, you know, to make me, like I said, who I was. And whenever I I asked Clarissa, you know, what she thought about me running for coroner, it it was an immediate response. She said, "Well, if you look at the whole course of your life, it's not if you want to; it's, it's you should, because it made you who you are, and it's like you're meant to do it. You were forged for it." And you know, and that was confirmation for me, you know, and uh, that's where it started. You know. Full disclosure, I also manage, I kind of set up your Facebook page. Um, kind of? Well, it, it started. I think everybody in this county who approaches me and says, hey, you do such a great job with your Facebook. It I started said, off because I was a fanboy. It's not me. <laughs> I said, I, I don't do Facebook. I hate Facebook. I did it just as a fanboy. Thing. I got a guy. Well, <laughs> and it just so happens everybody now knows Dana's the guy. Yeah. So I've got a uh, inside window into um, uh, people again and their appreciation and uh, how important your role is in this community. And unfortunately, we live in a community where one of the most recognizable people in our community is the county coroner. Eh, that's because I believe that when you're elected and you accept the responsibility to serve people, then you're called to serve people that you should be out amongst the people. And, you know, I, I know that I'm not, um, well, I guess I do preach pretty regularly, but, you know, I believe that if we're going to, you know, live our life as Christ lived his, and that should be our goal, is, you know, whenever, you know, the man of God, son of God, who, who came to earth, you know, he didn't go running around. Where'd he go? 
he was out amongst the people. Mm -hmm. And even if you look at his choice of apostles, you know, he went to those people that made a mistake. And it's okay to make a mistake. It's what you do next that matters, you know. And and now those apostles, they were teachers, you know. And and it's not that I'm I'm very um, abruptly out there about you know pushing religion, but there there definitely is is a meaning behind all of this, you know. And people buy a coffee pot, you know, and they take the instruction manual and they read it verbatim how to get a long life out of that coffee pot. But there's another instruction manual out there that gives you great lessons and parables on how to make good decisions and people, you know, for your own life and to have a healthy, happy life. But it's like people don't pay attention to that manual, you know, because quite often it doesn't tell you what you want to hear. Right. You know, but, you know, but I, I, I like to be brutally honest with people. And even as an employer, when you were there and, you know, I'm sure you were counseled from time to time, mm -hmm. but when I brought you in the <laughs> office, I mean, I would always premise it to say, look, I'm going to let you have it, but it's not because of what I want. It's because I see more than you and I want you to be better. Right. And, and I'm going to point that out, you know, and, and just, you know, but I, I believe that every individual wants to do good. Every individual wants to be good, but there are so many other influences that occur that, make it easy for us to change the direction of the story that we're meant to have. And that's, you know, one of the things I really want to talk about is um, what causes this, you know, and, and I understand that, you know, being the coroner who loses a, a child to, you know, a drug overdose, which in all honesty, we don't know if it was an accidental drug overdose or if she intentionally took her own life yet, you know, so um, it could go either way. And, you know, Erica struggled for a long time and, and she quite honestly made a mistake a long time ago that took her away from the people that truly valued her. Mm -hmm. And to me, that word, their value means so much. And, you know, whenever we have people that have mental health challenges that, you know, don't know what to do or how to get help with that, or they feel the stigma, you know, that they can't ask for help that leads us in a direction to escape those and use drugs, alcohol, whatever, you know, to separate ourselves from that. Um, you know, it, it, it leads us in a direction where uh, to be surrounded by people that don't value you, that want to use you. You know, do you think a drug dealer values you? No, he doesn't value you. He values the money he's making off of you, you know, but it's not you as a person. And, you know, it's, it's become such a challenging world and it's all of our fault. You know, we've allowed things to get beyond us and we forgot about what's truly important. And what's truly important is, is connecting with each other. And I've, I've always said it, you know, about, you know, we're not just fighting a, a drug issue. We're not just fighting a, a homicide, violent crime issue. We're not just, you know, fighting a, a self-harm and suicide issue. We're fighting an issue where these individuals have that feeling of low worth and value, a feeling of isolation, disconnection, a feeling of loneliness, and, and, and nobody should feel that way. I hate the fact that people feel that way, is that they feel that they're not worth it. That, that's horrifying to me. You know, but, but at the same time, I have to be honest. You don't think I experience those feelings? I do. And I'm willing to step up and say, I do. You know, usually it's by 10 a.m. every morning, you know, <laughs> because remember, I punched in January 3rd of 2016. I've never punched out. Right. You know, um, within 16 hours of me being notified that my, my child died, I was on scene of a drug overdose death investigating it, you know. And then a few hours after that, you were being sworn in for a second term in this county. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a little joked up there. I didn't get to say what I really wanted to say, but. Mm, it's probably better that I did. You, you did a great job, and I have it on video, and someday we'll share it. Well, the dog, the, the dog did better than me. That got sworn in. I'm just I, again. I've I've used the line three times, but it's a good line. The dog is better educated than you are. Uh, okay, there <laughs> is that. more training. There is that. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Um. So a lot of things you're talking about being an employer, just being a good man also applies into being a good father. And um, I'm a father and a grandfather. And I know that uh, as anybody can relate that it can be very, very challenging. And then I was one of those kids 
got to that particular age and then just said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out for myself. And I took off. And it, uh, uh, I didn't, thank God, um, struggle as badly as what Erica has struggled. I know how badly you wanted her to be back here and be back home. And she couldn't be any further away from you than, than, than what she was. And um, I had the privilege of also meeting her and her companion and also your grandson. And, um, I mean, she was a lovely girl. I mean, there's no doubt about it, lovely young woman. But you, you can't help but also notice, though, there was a lot about her that was withdrawn and she was hiding a lot. Effervescent personalities, they come through regardless of the fact. But I could, I could tell... She was, you know, it, it just, it's sad. And I, I remember taking that away, feeling like, man, she was there, she was home, she was comfortable, but she wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and now, unfortunately, yeah, you know, she is coming home. Right, right. How much do you want to uh, talk about the actual experience of the weekend? I don't want to be ghoulish, and I don't want to uh, uh, try to exploit it whatsoever. But uh, I, it, it is what it um, is, you know. I mean, it's it's been two weeks and two days, right? You know, since uh, we received that call. And I know that's morning. one of your frustrations. We've alluded to a couple of times that uh, she's still not home yet, and yeah. I know it's been it's been difficult dealing with uh, frustrations being yeah, nice. Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's it's been a horrifying experience, and and I can't even begin to to think about if you didn't know it from my side as a coroner investigator. You know. Um, what families go through with dealing with that office out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it was a challenge. Well, and, and you also have some preconceived expectations in this, well, I this do. kind of a situation. Because I know what I expect of my staff and, mm-hmm. and, and myself, and I hold myself accountable. But, you know, when I, when I called out there, um, they put me through to the identification unit, you know. Um, but I had to wait three hours from the notification of the hospital because – the medical examiner's office wasn't open yet, you know, and um, apparently they close, you know, but in Mercer County here, you know, I operate my own office. Right. So chances are, if you call at two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to answer it because I'm at home. And, uh, and it helps me provide better service to the people in this county because I work all the time. And, and, and I'm not opposed to that. That's how I've always been. Right. You know? But uh, they put me through the identification unit because they didn't have anybody by my daughter's name that was reported as one of the medical examiner's cases. And um, here we find out that the hospital didn't know who she was initially when they reported the death. So they had her as an unknown female. So they had to put me through the identification unit. And uh, I I spoke to an investigator. You know, she called back about 45 minutes later after I left a message. And she was asking me, you know, any identifying marks, you know, how how they could possibly identify her. And I, I gave them the information they needed. And she asked me, you know, well, can I ask what you do for the coroner's office out there? Because when she called, the phone answered the coroner's office. And, and I said, well, I am the coroner. And she said, oh, you know, and I said, but I'm not asking for anything other than you wouldn't do for somebody else, you know. And, uh, but I have questions because I know both sides now. And, and I don't know how you do your investigations. I don't know how you do things in Los Angeles. I know how we do things here because we attack it, you know, and, and we have a great, you know, working relationship with all law enforcement, the district attorney, you know, all that with drug-related deaths or homicides. You know, we, we do a great – I, I got to tell you, Mercer County, we do a great job. And it's not just me. It's the other players in there. But we uh, – so it's been two weeks and two days, and I have yet for that investigator to call me and to let me know they positively identified Erica. How about that, you know? So as the, the weekend went and the investigator that was assigned my case, um, Investigator Schaefer, I, I'm sure I'm not her good friend anymore, <laughs> because she finally called me um, on Tuesday, the day after Christmas, um, which was four days after we knew that there was the situation and it was Erica, and we believed it was. But, uh, you know, we went... Friday night, Saturday, with no calls from anybody. Um, Sunday, I called out there and I said, hey, you know, can we at least know, did you positively ID her? Um, I left a message 
never got a call back until Tuesday, the day after Christmas. So I spent my time with my family, you know, trying to, to be there for my son, Anthony, and my other daughter, Jocelyn, and my ex-wife, Amy, Erica's mom, um, who lives in North Carolina, and trying to, to be that pillar, you know, be the stone. Um, but meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even know if this is her. I don't know where my baby is, you know, through Christmas. And, you know, I'm, I'm, and it keeps hitting me that Christmas was her favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. You know? So on this, the following day, the day after Christmas, I was literally investigating a death um, with an intern and a police officer in an ER room when my phone rang. And it was the investigator. And, and you can honestly understand we had some words. I think I provided more of the words. <laughs> but, um, you know, how horrifying is it that she couldn't make a three-minute call just to say, hey, I've been assigned this. I will be your advocate. I'm here to help you and answer your questions. Um, and I will take care of, of your loved one. Because I make it a point to make sure that I call those families immediately just so they can connect to know who's going to be taking care of their loved one. Yes, and, that, yeah. and then I'm going to treat them <clears throat> as though they're my family. And I, and I mean that. And you do. Yeah, I mean that. Mm-hmm. And but it's and and she tried to justify it. This investigator Schaefer, you know, that well, sir, in all due respect, this is Los Angeles, and I've had five cases through the weekend, and I felt the need to say, well, I've had seven investigations since my daughter died, myself, uh-huh. not including my deputies, you know. So, um, I mean, if this is a competition, here, hold my beer, you know. <laughs> Because it's, it's not about that. It's about if, if you don't understand that not just serving that deceit and telling their story, but helping that family when they have no idea what to do. Because even though I know what we do here, I don't know what they do out there. Um, it, it got to the point, Dana, that, you know, they said, well, well, we'll make sure she's released today. And that was that Tuesday to the funeral home because I worked with um, Bob Snyder, mm-hmm. who's my chief deputy. You know, Bob Snyder funeral home. Who, that's one of the first calls I made. I said, I don't know what to do. You know, we do this every day, but I don't know what to do. And he said, don't worry, I got to taken care of. And, and he worked with somebody out there, and, and he, you know, did his research to make sure it was the right person. And, um, but I got a text from him Thursday morning that said, and this is Tuesday, after I talked to her, that we're going to release her that afternoon. Right. And on Thursday morning, he said, hey, just so you know, she hasn't been released yet. And uh, really, so now there's absolutely no trust in these people out there. And I said, well, Bob, I, that funeral home out there that's going to pick Erica up, I, I didn't want to see her, but I feel that I'm responsible at this point, that I want to see her picture, I want to see that tattoo that I know she has, because I need to know that when she gets back in that urn, right, that it's my little girl. Right. That shouldn't happen. Talked with a couple of different people, a couple of family members, and they immediately bring up the fact and they start talking about how big Los Angeles is and we can't even begin to imagine. No, there's no excuse for not communicating. Well, but but also in my, I mean, again, I'm a little analytical here whenever I look at certain things. But, you know, in Mercer County here, you got me, Mm -hmm. right? I have a full-time administrative deputy who who works Monday through Friday. She's my right hand, Allison, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and she's amazing. She's worked for me for a long time and um, just a, a good, solid person. And, and then I have five casual deputies that make a whopping $5,000 a year, you know, whatever. But uh, I have that's, that's a whole other story, right. you know, with that stuff. Because we're, but anyhow, they've had 1,800 cases, so 1,800 cases. But they also have, 20 investigators Mm -hmm. okay so do the math how many investigations did each each investigator do now you know i can't answer that (laughs) not out of the top of my head okay so i didn't get me a calculator okay so two thousand right say if if you round it up two thousand here we go again now i'm anxiety attack because i'm 20 i'm dealing with a teacher okay it's an average of about 180 investigations per investigator i will take your word for it Last year, I investigated 230 myself, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't want to hear it. I, I just don't want to hear it. And, 
if, if they're not able to provide the service, maybe they need to figure out how to provide the service. Now, I, I, I will tell you that I work like an idiot and people always wonder how I get so much done because, you know, I'm out there with people. We do all these CPR classes. You know, last year I certified 2,030 people. But the reason that I did that is because it keeps me out there amongst the people. Right. That's who I meant to serve. You know, I'm not going to say I'm the corner. I'm going to sit behind a, a desk and, and hide, you know, like so many other people that are elected do because now they feel like they're above the people that put them in office. Right. Or that, you know, they're a, they know more than anybody because they got more votes than somebody else. But in all honesty, no. It's my job is to work for 105,000 people. That's who I work for. And I get evaluated every four years. I respect the people that use the shovel and don't show up for just the shovel ceremony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're definitely out there getting your knuckles bruised. And Wow. And it's, but I, but again, I'm a little bit different of a person. I'm not an entitled child. I've worked for everything that I have and I've worked hard and I, I've accomplished that just simply by putting other people first. You know, I don't live in a mansion, you know, I don't, I have a little log house in the center of the county that I provide the office or the corner um, and I'm comfortable, you know, I'm not starving. I mean, hey, you seen me, I'm yeah. chubby, you know, so obviously I'm eating, right? Uh, we usually get wings at least once a week, so I know you're eating that. <laughs> but it's it's not about, like, I've never been one to want to live beyond my means. And, you know, my mother and father taught us well that, you know, you. it's about what do you need versus what do you want. And as long as your needs are met, you know, you're already rich. And, and like, I remember Jocelyn, my youngest, you know, she, she had some challenges when she was you know, 14, 15, figure out what she wanted to do with her life, you know, and she said, um, you know, how everybody wants to, her to do something else because it'll make money. And um, and I, I said, wait a minute. I said, but let's talk about wants and needs. So I said, when you come into the house and it's raining, are you dry? And she said, well, yeah. I said, well, when it's cold, are you warm? She said, yeah. I said, well, you go to that room that we call a kitchen where you have this hot box that you can turn knobs and put meat in there and a couple hours you got like, all this food and if you don't eat it all you can put it in the cold box save it for later or the really cold box and save it for a lot later and then if you have to go to the bathroom you go around the corner you can go right there in your house push a thing and it takes it outside right you can get a shower as much as you want so here's my question aren't you already rich mm -hmm. because there's people that don't have that you know it's not about what you want it's about what you need and and i'm the worst person to say look at the neighbors because you know, like my neighbors has a boat okay <laughs> well they're like don't you want a boat no i hate water i hate boats why would i want a boat so as long as we're comfortable and i've always found more um satisfaction on just connecting with people mm -hmm. and, and just being with people and uh and that's what i really feel that a lot of people are missing the boat is that um, for one reason or another you know people tend to isolate feel that disconnection, low worth and value. And a lot of it's because of our world today, who's painting the picture that if you don't do anything of, of worth and value, like this extravagant stuff, like our kids are all learning through social media, reality, TV, all that, that if you don't do anything profound and amazing that your life has lower worth and, and value, you know, no offense, bullshit. I call bullshit. And because, and like I said today, whenever I presented to this church group is that you know, I'm talking to the group initially, but I, I want everybody to look at me. I want every single individual in there to look at me because now I'm speaking directly to them. Is that, you know, if you've ever felt those ways, if you didn't feel beautiful, if you didn't feel like you mattered, let me explain something. Is you've already accomplished something amazing and profound in the history of the world or universe that nobody else is ever going to be able to repeat, ever. Is that you're you. You were built to be beautiful exactly how you are for a purpose. And that purpose isn't something like profound. It's, it's about connecting with other people. And there was a, a very profound statement that was said to me by an individual, um, the gentleman I was talking to, he said, you'd realize when you die, you die twice. You experience your physical death, but it was when the other people that you've instilled things in die after you. Because quite honestly, yeah, Erica is not here with us today. And that's, and we're mourning her loss because she's not here with us even though you know, I believe that she's in a beautiful place and she's not experiencing the challenges that she had, you know, but still, she's not here with us. Sure. So, so we mourn her loss with us. But 
at the same time, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that to her sister and her brother and her mom and, you know, Clarissa, myself, like anybody, she still lives on through you. Mm-hmm. And you, you honor the person that's taken from us by making decisions to honor them, which are positive decisions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes perfect sense. Which, um, and I know you well enough, and I know that you keep busy. So, you're going to take this experience, and not only are you part of a uh, exclusive group now of, of families that have lost um, children uh, to mental illness and to drug abuse, but um, I mean, it's sorry that it has to happen that way, but man, does it make your message even that much more powerful because you're now carrying her with you. Well, I mean, there's there's two actions that occurred, you know, since this all happened two and a half weeks ago. There, there was one that was an action. There was one that was a statement that was made to me. And they were the two most meaningful things that occurred. Um, and one was from, you know, my friend Louis Falcone from Farrell. You know, we always call him the godfather of Farrell, mm-hmm. right? Um but Louis sent me a message and he said, John, you've always talked the talk. Now you walk the now walk. Now you walk the walk. And some people would think, you know, that's a little harsh, you know, but understand I'm Italian, right? Louis Italian. And it's, it's one of those things where you just want to hit him right between the eyes. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. And it's true. You know, it's not that I was ever not empathetic with the families because one of the most challenging things for me is that when I'm on on a scene and investigating a death of of a death that really didn't need to occur, you know, one of my biggest challenges is I wish I would have met that person a week before. Mm -hmm. And if I could have said something to change the direction of their life, you know, but the fact that they've took away my ability to now know who they are, you know, because I I find people fascinating. And and I I love learning about, you know, my interns will all tell you that because we ask them everything and anything because we want to know who they are. And... You know, this whole, um, what is it, microaggression and all this stuff about how you can't ask people what their religion is, what their ethnicity is, what their favorite color is, when their birthday is. How are you, you know, supposed to learn anything about well, anybody? we're taking away people's ability to be proud of what they were given. Right. You know, and I've always said it. I, I work for the most unprejudiced thing in the world, death. It mm-hmm. takes everybody. It doesn't care the color of your skin. It doesn't care who your parents were where you were born, how much money you make. Nobody, it, it doesn't matter. You know, so why would I judge anybody based on if they're a male or female or if, you know, the color of their skin, the color of their hair, they, they didn't choose all that. So I'm not going to judge them based on that. I, I want to learn about them. I find people fascinating and I, I want them to be proud of what they are. We don't always have to agree, you know, but we've gotten to the position now that there's so much anger in the world that, you know, everybody has to agree with me. And we have all these groups trying to separate us. And we have all these things trying to separate us, you know. And we, as a people, because the last time I checked, our country <laughs> was based on the people. We need to take our country back. And, and we need to just do that by, you know, Mother Teresa. If you want to change the world, start by going home and loving your family. And then love your community. And because we've gotten to the point where we've been... We become such a disconnected just within our own families. I mean, how many families do we actually know that have dinner together, that practice their faith together, that do things together, right? And then you add how many communities really get together. Have you seen anybody have a block party recently? No. No. I mean, <clears throat> because we all want to be separate, you know. And, and then it's just... To me, we need to, to sit back. If, if I can sit there and say, you know, we've seen an increase in suicide and self-harm. This last year, 2023, has been a horrifying year for suicides. And we've had 20. You know, that's, that's a record. I don't know about you, but if we're going to have a record, that's not what I want. No. And, you know, drug overdose deaths are down. You know, you who, I, I appreciate that, but the problem still exists. But we have a lot of Narcan out there that are helping individuals. And, and I get it, and, I, and I, I like that because it gives those people another opportunity mm-hmm. that are being resuscitated to enter into treatment and help and to give us time to, to get out there and to break the stigma. But we've had five homicides last year. You know, and if we look at those people that participate with those activities, 
you know, and, and perform those activities is that they have that feeling of low worth and value. You, I always say it, you know, but, but if we look at the Amish community in our own county, and we have a lot of Amish, right? And they can't hide it. I don't want to hear that. But, but we look at how many, how many homicides have they had? None. None. In the last 18 years or 16 years since I've been doing this, none. How many suicides? One. Right. And it was an older gentleman that his wife died a year before and, and the family's grown and he felt truly isolated and and alone. And his and in the Amish community you realize their wives are their world. Right. The men, and, mm-hmm. and they are. And you know, the men always want to say they're in charge, but it's really the women. No. And <laughs> it's <laughs> But how many drug deaths have we had? None. None. But but why aren't they experiencing the things we are experiencing at all? And you know, even if you look at just, you know, populate, whatever, you do the research, they should at least be having some if they're having the same challenges. But they don't because they have family, to, they have family meals together mm-hmm. every day. Every day. Right? They, they're strong in their faith. They work, right? Mm-hmm. They're active. But even if you have a handicap, you know you're appreciated and, and you're valued, back to that value word, right, for, for what you give to your community and their strong community. So... You know, I think we can learn from that. And, and here's the other thing is they control technology. And I'm sorry, but technology has been the biggest issue. And uh, me, for one, I hate when I go into a restaurant and I see parents that want to just put their kids into a corner with, like, technology stuff and not, like, interact with their child. You know, I, I don't like that because you're think of what you're teaching them the future right and you realize as you teach them that now when they have access to be able to look at these these damn cell phones right that you want to get your kid to stay connected but now you give them you give other people access to your kid Mm -hmm. that they're teaching them how that they don't have to be to value others they don't have to respect others their parents their pastors their teachers you know because kids have rights don't know about you. When I grew up, I didn't have rights, right? When I go to my mother's house, I still don't have rights, right? It's my mother's house. So, but, but we're painting this picture and we're exposing them to things that they're not developmentally ready for. And I'm just as guilty, you know. Sure. I'm just as guilty. But, and, but, but I want to learn from that and, and say, you know, if we keep doing it the way it's going, it's, it's going to get worse. We need to, we need to start to, to really stand our ground. And to just say no, because if you look at trauma in childhood now versus where it was when we were kids, it is a hundred times worse now. And it's because of all these outside exposures that are taking your kids away from the family values that you're trying to instill in them. You know, and, and you can choose to disagree, but remember, I'm that guy that's in every neighborhood investigating all these deaths and, and looking at those individuals, you know, and their background and where they came from and, and looking at what's happened over the past however many years, you know, and unless we start to band together as people and start to connect as people and start to, to have dinners together, start to interact together and, and just simple acts of kindness, you know, when, when you, <laughs> it's just amazing to me when you hear you know, somebody respond abruptly to somebody um, over something that doesn't even matter, you know, instead of just saying, oh, I get your point, you know, you make it, you know, don't get me started on all that stuff. But, but how, how often do you see simple acts of kindness? I mean, we do. We talk about this often because now simple acts of kindness or just somebody being friendly are going out of their way to just, you know, smile at you or whatever, that has become kind of the exception and not the rule. So it sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, everybody else has kind of got their head down and being miserable. Thank and, God for every once in a while. That, and then people think you're up to something. Right. You know, if, if yeah. you just smile. What do you want? You know, and, <laughs> and I took a young lady that was shadowing me the other day um, for the coroner's office. She's an EMT class and, you know, beautiful young lady. And and uh, but she's like eight foot tall. No, I'm kidding. She's like six, two, you know. But she, she's a tall girl. And I said, hey, I have to pick up a couple groceries. Do you mind if we just swing by the store? She said, no, absolutely. So we're we're in Walmart in Greenville, and, and it was amazing. 
how many people were in there. And, and I'm one of those scary people that talk to people, mm-hmm. you know, cause I don't care. I, I'm breaking it. You know, it's, I, I, I want to interact with people, but here there was a, a woman that, that said to me, she goes, Hey, you know, I really need that, that syrup up there, but I can't reach it. Can you reach it? And I'm like, Oh, I can't, but this young lady can, you know, she's the top <laughs> shelf getter. Right. And by the time we left, there was three other ladies that were coming to her, asking her to get stuff off the top shelf, you know, but, but, and we have fun with that. And, and again, we're connecting with each other uh-huh. and we're helping each other, even though it sounds something, it sounds so simple and stupid, you help them resolve an issue. And, and like, even whenever you said about your experience with, with the wheelchair van operator, mm-hmm. right? The ambulance driver. And, um, you know, because a lot of people think what, whenever you, you're a wheelchair van driver and you know this because you work for mm-hmm. me is that, um, you know, that, well, in order to make a difference and you have to be a paramedic or you have to be an EMT and you have to, but do you realize, you know, all of us, no matter what our position is, has the ability to, to restore order to somebody else's disorder. And, and that wheelchair van operator, you know, I don't want ever want to hear anybody just say, I'm just a wheelchair van driver. You know, just like I'm just a dishwasher. You know, I think of it often. That guy has no idea the impact that he made in my life yeah. and a whole bunch of other people yeah. just by being kind to me at a particular moment that I needed somebody to be kind. Yeah, nobody is not just a, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I hate that because if, if you're a dishwasher at a restaurant, right. well, that restaurant can't function unless you do your job. But also think of that wheelchair van operator that has somebody that's at dialysis that's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. that can't get out of the wheelchair and get a glass of water. They they don't have the ability with with mobility. They can't go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, on their own. And they're truly sitting there alone. And for you to be able to get there and say, "Is there anything I can do to make it better?" and they and they say, "Well, can I have a drink of water?" You're you're, you're restoring some order to them and you're helping them. That that not that the acuity is different, mm-hmm. right? But that to me is like that person with chest pain that that paramedic's helping. The right. acuity's different, but you're still helping people to resolve their issues. Right. And, and even though it seems like it's not important, well, to that person it is. It is. It's their whole world. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, moving forward here, we're going to continue these conversations. There's a whole bunch more. I want to dive into conversations with you and the Amish community because there are lessons there to be learned. Maybe we should do an Amish podcast. Well, yeah, I'd like to. I would like to bring uh, to invite a couple of... Amish folk in to sit. I know that between the two of us, we know somebody that wouldn't mind coming in and uh, having a little chat with us. Yeah. I think, I don't know if that's ever been, I mean, it's been done. I've seen Amish on YouTube. Our Amish around here have a tendency to be a little bit more conservative than they are in other areas of the country. And they, hmm? well, we're all people. Yeah. We're all people. I mean, I, I, I don't know what we're accomplishing with this today other than just talking. But I, I, I think that I, I want everybody to understand what the message really is, is that it's okay to have feelings of weakness and feeling isolation. We all feel that, but please break the stigma. I guess there's two messages. Let that stigma go away. And, and if you feel those way, there's help out there, you know, and, and, you know, get that help. But there's the others is that I want people to mobilize to just offer acts of kindness and get involved in your communities and let people know that it's okay to make a mistake. It starts at home first. It that does. has been, and that has been something, especially in this political climate and, and things that we've been discussing over the last few years, you're going to make the biggest impact in your own community, in your own school board, in your own church, you know, civic, it doesn't matter, but just get involved in some way. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or bring myself into this, but I got involved with the Riverside Park folks. Um, it's something that's very, very simple that we're putting on some concerts and some few people are getting together and having a meal together and watching music in the park because we need that stuff. That stuff is missing. Well, and but we need to come together as the people. Yeah. And, and to start breaking down this whole separation of stuff, you know, that's, that's keeping us separate and not being accepting of other people. And I, I, I don't know, even, you know, like we started this to say, you know, this isn't about me. 
this is about Erica. Right. And this is about, you know, celebrating her life. And if, if, if her life and death and the challenges she had can, this hasn't changed my passion towards doing what I've done that I've done for years, but I guess it's, it's caused people to have, um, they're, they're now paying attention, Mm -hmm. you know, now, Oh, the coroner's daughter. And, but, but now they're seeing my passion, but my passion hasn't changed. No. You know, because it's not just the loss of my daughter, but it was the loss of all these other people is that it doesn't need to happen. And even first and foremost with that is they don't have to feel that feeling that that gets them into these positions that they their life ends. You know, they have so much to offer. And but but if we can motivate people to to understand that there is help out there, that it's okay to feel those ways. But we need to we need to deal with those in a healthy way, you know. Not not to take the wide road, take the narrow path, and and fight it, take it head on. There are people that will walk beside you, and help you through that. And it's not for any personal interest or gain, but there's people that value you, and I want every single person in our county to understand they're valued, and I want more people, you know, that are out there in positions like mine, to to be out there. And, and to let people know that the most important asset that we have in our county is our people. Because without our people, what do we got? We got nothing. You can talk about jobs, you can talk about economic development, growth, whatever, but unless we have a healthy people, and I understand it runs concurrent, you know, but I, I gotta tell you, you know, one of the, and, and we talked a little bit about why I do what I do, and you know, I'm technically retired and I, I'm in a, a very good spot because I really don't care. You know, I'm able to just say it how it is because what are you going to do to me? I mean, what, is the county going to take my office away? Yeah, they don't pay for my office. I do, right? right? Um, I mean, not at all. And <laughs> and I don't think people understand that. But, but I sit there and say, you know, it puts me in a good position where I can just say what's right for the people. There's nothing anybody's going to do with me. What are you going to do? Take all my staff away? I really don't have that much staff. Right. right? And let them. You know, if anybody wants to take me head on, take me head on. I mean, one of the one of the things that keeps motivating me is um, I, and I know this is going to sound funny to you, you know, but in 2015 when I first ran for office, now I was with the coroner's office eight years before. I was I was one of Brad's deputies, Brad McGonigal, who was the coroner before me, um, who if, if it wasn't for Brad, I wouldn't be here. Right. You know, and if uh, here in 2015 when I was running, that's um, the first year that Tim McGonigal was running mm-hmm. for office. Right. And and he was on a different party and all that, but nobody cares about county, county politics. It doesn't matter with like parties and stuff with county stuff because you're, you're, you're being elected to serve people. And like all these things on policy, they have no control over as, as county, you know. But I remember... Um, a very powerful thing, and I carry this today, and I, I so appreciate Tim McGonigal for this, is that people were trying to say negative stuff about me, and, and he made a statement that said, you know, everything about John and what he does, because I work for him mm-hmm. and his family, and right. he saw how I worked, <clears throat> and he said everything about John and the decisions he make is based on good. And anybody that's against that is, is evil. It's not good, you know, and I carry that today. And, and that, that inspires me to continue to make my decisions that I make based on what's good, you know, because, you know, I live a very public life. There is nowhere that I can go in this county and hide, mm-hmm. you know, and um, nor would I want to because there's no reason to. You know, I, I, I love people. I love my wife. And, and I, I don't just love my wife. I like my wife. Yeah. We still have two houses four miles apart, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great marriage. Um, we should do a podcast on that. We will. But, we are. Yeah. But, um, but no, I, I think that you know, I appreciate, you know, Tim, for that statement. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I carry that. That means a lot to me uh-huh. is that my mother has always taught us, if you ever have to make a decision and in any way, shape, or form, if that decision that you made for other people benefits you in some way, you probably made the wrong decision. Wrong decision. 
And you know, my mother is good. My mother is 86 years old, right? And she still washes her own car <laughs> by hand. Mm-hmm. She cuts her own grass. You know, she's an amazing woman. And you know, that's why when people say, "How do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do?" and I say, "Well, I blame my mother." You know, because um, you know, it's she's really taught us, and and I respect my my mother. And you know, my father's deceased. You know, we lost him to cancer. But uh, no, I, I I wouldn't want to disappoint my mother. Mm-hmm. I, I sit there and think I don't want to disappoint Brad, mm-hmm. who was the previous coroner. You know, I I don't want to disappoint Tim. I but I most I don't want to disappoint 105,000 people who have chosen me to serve them in a very vulnerable time in their life. Very well put. Again, these people have reached out to you on Facebook and on social media. And um, the thing is, it's not just the typical, um, you know, sorry for your loss. I'm overwhelmed with the amount of stories. People took time to write a paragraph on how um, you impacted their life directly. Mm -hmm. And I know that you greatly appreciate that. I I do. And, well, I I feel bad now because I, I said about the one statement that was made with Louis Falcone, but I forgot to tell you on the one action that was done, and, and that was Gary Hiddle from Hempfield Township, right. Township Supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were with me that night where, you know, I have a tendency to wait until I see people that I know in the restaurant leaving right, and get ready to leave so I can go over and say hi because I know I don't have to talk for a long time because they're leaving, right? <laughs> and I, I walked over and, and because I do the emergency management coordinating for, for Donia Borough, for Delaware Township, and for Hemfield Township. And um, he's a Hemfield Township supervisor. And I, I walked up to him and I said, hey, Gary, I just saw that you were leaving, so I figured I'd say hi so we didn't have to talk to you long. And he looked at me and the only thing that he said is, no words. And he hugged me. Yeah. That, that was awesome. That's powerful. Yeah, that, was, that was powerful. Yeah. But, um, but no, you just want to make me cry one more time. Uh, <laughs> but no, back to what you said. You know, I've had not just with the statements that they did through, like, Facebook and stuff. Because and, I'm not good at that. You know right. that. You have to tell me how to look at stuff. Um, there were there were people that have called mm-hmm. the office and said, you know, I just want you to know that we so appreciate what you did for us. You know, when we lost our child, and um, we, we're here for you. That that meant a lot sure. with the, those people that I've served to be willing to to turn the tables and say I'm there for you too, right? Because, like you said, um, is that now you know I belong to a club. A club that nobody wants to belong to, right? And uh, but but the members that are in it are glad to have each other. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's not about me, right? It's about this beautiful young lady, you know that that wanted so badly to make a difference and impact on this world um, that was led astray because she chose to follow a path with people that didn't value her and. Um, truly love and care for her you know so but and i don't want anybody to be in that position so if if we can honor erica may by you know getting people to understand that they need to be surrounded by people that truly value them and 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 don't mistake in this is that you know when your parents come down on you it's not because they they don't love you it's because they do love you you know and they're trying to teach you and they're trying to get you to make better decisions because no matter what, your, your parents are trying to, to teach you what you need to be able to carry on when they're not here anymore. Because the natural progression is parents want their children to be ready for whenever they die. What's unnatural is when your child dies before you. And, and if you think about it, it's just even looking at the vocabulary associated. You know, if if you're a husband or a wife and you lose your spouse, you're a widow or a widower. If if you lose your parent, you're an orphan. But what term is out there that, that if you lose a child, well, you're still a parent. Mm-hmm.
I don't know what else needs to be said at this point, John. I just appreciate you taking the time to be an honest um, and just to open up. And uh, you're going to, there's a lot of people you wonder who's going to listen. There's a lot of people that want this kind of comfort. And unfortunately, again, in the day and age that we live in today with all this high tech, the more high tech things are, the more high touch is needed. I like that. But I, I think I'd, I'd like to end this with um, there's been a lot of people asking uh, about what we're going to do as far as a service. Um, and again, with the horrific experience with these morons out in Los Angeles, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, but some people that she was connected to out there that were very helpful in trying to get through to her, um, you know, Ramsey's one of those kids and, and, and Ramsey's a great kid. And he really tried to reach out for her and or reach out to her and, and help her. And he, he truly loved and cared and valued her, but she distanced herself because, it wasn't the direction that everybody else was pulling her. So, um, but Ramsey sent me a few pictures, and, and that's the picture that we chose um, for this podcast. I'll show to it put to it you out too. there, and it's um, it's very touching, and I think it's very powerful. You know, and I I never knew that picture existed, and when I saw it, I'm like, wow, that that's, that has to be it. But um, you know, with all of that, people are asking, what are we going to do for a service? for Erica. Well, first, let me get her back here. Right. You know, and, um, but again, you know, I, I want this to be about everybody and in sharing that with everybody. So, you know, there's some preliminary discussion and, and, and right off the bat, my thought is, you know, I, I don't want to do a, a service and a memorial, you know, I want to do a celebration of her life, you know, her spirit went somewhere, you know, and, it, and I think it's still amongst us. So just like, Every other person that has lost a, a mother, a father, a, a son, a daughter, a, a brother or sister to, to this issues that we're having, whether it was suicide, whether it was drug use, whether all these things that are pulling us out there. So my goal is to do a celebration, not just of Erica's life, but I want to join all these people together or invite them to join with me to celebrate the lives of, of their loved ones as well. And let's, if we're going to connect, even though it's a shitty way to connect, right. Right, I, I want to, I want, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know how this would ever be done, but if we can get all of those individuals together and in some way be able to celebrate the lives of our loved ones that have lost their lives to the challenges that the evils in this world have allowed to occur, right? Well, let's do it, but let's do it in a, in a way that's going to make it good and how it can stop it for other people. And like I said I before, you know, I, I not today, but like I always say is that I'm the only business in Mercer County that wants to be put out of business. Right. You know, hey, I get a paycheck every two weeks, right? So whether I investigate 30 cases or I have to do anything, I challenge everybody, you know, make me not have to do anything. I still won't take up golf because I hate golf. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. You know, I'm here to help with whatever I can do. Um, you've had dozens and dozens of people that have reached out again on social media in different ways too and have said the same thing. It's like, John, just call. Just let me know. So we're going to be putting the uh, – the beacon out there at some point. And if you're listening to this and, and we'll accept ideas, you can message John right on his Facebook page. We make everything pretty much public. I mean, his email address is on there. Um, the numbers that you shared as well with your, uh, your Christmas message about the loss of Erica, I'll make sure that those numbers are also continuing to be posted on all these posts. But let's just keep this conversation going and let's see what the next few months. And in the meantime, we're all here for you. You know well, that. And, and thank I, you for what you do. Well, and thank you for sharing this. This is a this is vulnerable and you know a difficult thing to do. Just because you speak so well, I, I have a pretty good idea how difficult this is. Even though I haven't actually lived it, I'm sitting here across from you, and I know this is this is tough. Well, yeah. but, but I just want people to know how much I appreciate them. You know, I, I, I know, and I appreciate do. you. I, I appreciate the people in this county, and I, I appreciate everybody for. You know, is anybody that makes their decisions based on what they know is right mm -hmm. to be able to to serve other people. That's and, the lesson taken away from here today. That really is. 
I mean, that's that's the people I appreciate. Honoring I mean, Erica and uh, well, do what is good. But we all know people do that, what is right. that make decisions based on what they want as right. opposed to their conviction of, of what's right. And and I feel bad for those people. And uh, But if we all work together with the same you know, goal in mind is that, you know, put down your differences, but let's make decisions based on what we know is right. You know, how do we serve those people? And, uh, but again, my, my life story, you know, and my path is different than yours, but as our paths cross, you know, how can we mutually benefit and, and how can we build each other Mm -hmm. in a positive way? And, be accepting of each other, even if we have differences, and and that's what our country was based upon, mm-hmm. and I, and that's what we need to get back to because all this separation and all this stuff is going is just ridiculous. It is, and all these organizations and clubs and you know kneeling down at the NFL with, with the Star Spangled Banner. Come on, seriously, let's let's get back to what truly matters, and we all know what that is. You know, I don't have to tell people what right and wrong is. You know what right and wrong is. And if you just want to make a decision to do something wrong just so it sets you out to be different, then I hate to say it, but you're an idiot, right? <laughs> and it just, it doesn't, I don't have to tell your teachers, your parents, you know, people don't have to tell you what right and wrong is. You know what right and wrong is. So let's just make good decisions. Thank you, John. Mr. Dana presents.